and I ask you please to turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 67 through, 60, uh, through 79 will be our text. And as you're turning, uh, I want to recap where we are in the Gospel of Luke because we've skipped around just a little bit because we've ordered the messages according to the songs. And today we're going to go back and pick up some background information that we passed over earlier. So the gospel begins with a dedication, and then he moves quickly to Gabriel's appearance uh, to Zechariah. That's Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. Followed by his appearance to Mary that takes place in verses 26 through 38. And then after that, Mary goes to visit her relative Elizabeth. And we hear Elizabeth's song, and then we hear Mary's song. And then John the Baptist is born. And then comes Zechariah's song, what we're going to read today. But what I want you to see, because we've taken it out of order, is that really we have a Zechariah sandwich uh, to, to some degree. It begins with Zechariah, and a lot of the background information emerges from that. And then the action moves to Mary finding out, and then Mary going to see Elizabeth, and Elizabeth finding out, and this great uh, exchange of songs between Elizabeth and Mary. And then we land on Zechariah's song. Stand with me as we read Luke 1, 67 through 79. And his father, that's John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness, in righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, Tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your reading of your word. We thank you for how precious it is and how much it means to us as a community of believers. And we thank
thank you, Lord, for its availability. And Father, as we have read it now, we pray that your spirit may minister to us and each of us may understand not only its meaning, but how we live out its intent in our lives. Father, we ask that your name be glorified and lifted up as we look at the truths of your presence. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In the first sermon of the series, I promised you that we would spend some time looking at Zechariah and Elizabeth's life condition. And as promised, we're going to be doing that today because they had some unusual circumstances that are really important for us to understand the first two sermons, but also specifically in understanding of this sermon. Zechariah was a priest, and his wife Elizabeth was a direct descendant from Aaron. They were good people. They lived blameless lives. They lived righteous lives before the Lord. Now that's not said of that many people in the scripture, so we should take notice. The scripture is very uh, authentic, and it paints with fine details, not just the accomplishments of the people that were on a journey of following God, but also their failures. For instance, we know that King David was the greatest king of all, but we also know that he sinned grievously against the Lord because God has nothing to hide. He tells us the truth in his word. Well, in this text, we learn the truth about this family. They were blameless and they were righteous. They came from a long line of people who have been devout in their faith. In fact, Elizabeth can trace her ancestry all the way back to Aaron. This is an impressive couple. They also were childless. Now in their day, people would have viewed them because they were childless, that they were void of the blessing of God in their lives. That was not true then, it is not true now. Sometimes circumstances are disappointing, and that's all they are, is disappointment. Not only is everyone in this room right now facing difficult days in the here and now, but you can look back in your rearview mirror and remember some great disappointments. Some things you did you wish you wouldn't have done. And sometimes those crowd out our consciousness, and that's what we focus on. And in the spirit of Christmas today, we lift up our eyes to the hill from whence cometh our hope. And we realize that our focus is not on our failures, but on the one who died on the cross to bring forgiveness, not just for our failures, but for our sins. Well, sometimes we live disappointing lives, and it's sometimes because of mistakes we've made, and sometimes it's just, well, disappointing. Life has not always turned out the way we thought it should, 
And perhaps he's in the, even in this current iteration of our life not going the way we want it to. And sometimes disappointments are just disappointments, but other times they are preludes to extraordinary events of what's coming next. You see, as Luke begins his gospel, he sets the table for us. And it already has a twist. He says to the people who would have viewed Zachariah and Elizabeth as less than because of their life circumstances, he sets the record straight. They were blameless and lived righteous lives before the Lord. Luke is saying life isn't always like you think it is. A word we need to hear today. Our disappointments are sometimes just that. They're disappointing and we have to learn to live with them. But sometimes they are much more. They are preludes to extraordinary events where God's glory is about to be revealed. Zechariah was in the sanctuary, and he was carrying out his priestly duties. He had also won the lottery, so to speak, that he got to be on duty during this time. They had cast lots that came to him. There were many priests. It was a great honor for him to be doing this particular service. It was his day. It was his chance. Uh, for those of us that are advancing in years, Zechariah was numbered among us, and his day was not past. It was not over. He got his chance. He was ministering and doing his priestly duties when God interrupted him. The angel Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, left his coveted post to come into the sanctuary and stand in the presence of this aging priest. And he had a word for him. Gabriel had some good news. Now Zechariah became frightened. I would too. Zechariah became frightened, and Gabriel, the angel, said to him, what he seems to always say, do not be afraid, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and shall call his name John. Wow. Wow. Zachariah was slow of heart in the same way those two on the road to Emmaus were slow of heart, and he doubted. He should have known better. The history of his own people should have prepared him for the news. 
Let me explain this. You remember that before Isaac was born to Abraham and his barren wife, Sarah, the Lord told him that they'd have a child within the next year. You remember? And a great nation came from that miraculous birth. It was a turning point in salvation history. God's power was evident when an elderly woman who had never had children became the mother of God's chosen people that numbered more than the stars in the sky. Wow. Zachariah should have known. Before Samson was born, the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's barren wife to announce that she would have a son. Read about that in Judges 13. And God used Samson, not a perfect judge by any means, but God used Samson during a time when people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes to keep the enemies of the children of God at bay, the Philistines. In fact, Samson killed more of God's enemies in his death than he had in his whole life. A time of transition, a time when God was doing something great and he chose to do it with people that were going through difficult circumstances. Zacharias should have understood Because during times of transition, when something great is going to happen, God uses the pain of his people as the backdrop for his glory. And then there was Samuel. Before Samuel was born, Hannah, who was barren, poured out her soul to the Lord. She was tormented by a competitive uh, member of her family who was having children and she wasn't. She was tormented. And she poured out her soul to the Lord and she promised the Lord that if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. I will dedicate him to you. And God answered her prayer. And she used her son as a great prophet, as a great judge who would anoint the first two kings of Israel. Later in the new year, we're going to go through a series through Samuel's life as your teaching team is going to help unpack many of the events that happened with this, uh, this great man. Zechariah should have known because in Israel's history, the children of Israel began with the birth from a woman who was unable to have children. He should have known he should have known from Israel's history, history because when God needed a great judge to protect his people, when everybody was haywire and doing what was right in their own eyes, he used a woman that was unable to have children. And then when Samuel, perhaps the greatest prophet of all, arguably the greatest prophet of all, save that Jesus is also referred to as a prophet, Samuel, was born to a woman who could not have children. And so when the angel of the Lord said to Zechariah, 
you and your wife are going to have a child. He should have seen the connection. He should have remembered that with God, all things are possible. Now, in none of these cases did it have to do with the family that was raising the child. In all of these cases, it had to do with God and his glory. You see, sometimes we just face disappointments, and it's no reflection on who you are or who I am. Life is filled with disappointments, but sometimes, our disappointments are preludes to something extraordinary. Zechariah should have known. Because in these three transition points in history, God did the same thing. He brought about a substantial leader during difficult days who would guide his people through the difficult times. And this time, another prophet was coming. John the Baptist. But Zechariah, Zechariah died. He died. It is very important for us remember the reason that God intervened. It was not so that Elizabeth would not bear shame. It was so that he would bear glory. And I fear that sometimes, friends, that when we go through these great stories of our faith, we miss that. And we think, Lord, if you will just, then I will. And it's got to all be about his glory and his purposes. Zechariah doubted. And after that, he was speechless. Literally. Luke one twenty says, and behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled. And in that beautiful phrase, in their time. When we view our disappointments as prelude to something extraordinary, we have to remember that if God chooses to do something extraordinarily through us, it's going to be on his timetable, not ours. That makes it even more difficult. Perhaps in the past, or even now, you look at this nine months of silence and you thought, well, this is punishment because he didn't believe. You know, I used to think of it that way, and just to be totally honest, until this last week as I was preparing for this message. And I don't know how many times I've preached this text. Christmas comes, what, once a year? <laughs> this text has come up quite often. I don't see it as punishment anymore. I see it as a great gift. 
had nine months where nobody was expecting him to talk. Nine months where people pretty well left him alone. Nine months where he had the opportunity to reflect on the extraordinary events that are to come. And when we read his song, don't they bear the fruit of that kind of reflection? It's a beautiful song. It certainly wasn't written in a moment. Truth is, it wasn't written in nine months either. This is a song that took a lifetime to write because of the nuances of understanding. You'll remember that when we studied Elizabeth's songs, we noticed that we noted that it was a spirit-filled, spontaneous expression. It was elevated prose. It wasn't poetry. And then we contrasted last week Mary's song with that and mentioned that she likely had four days to travel, depending on where they lived. It could have been as two days if she they lived uh, closer, but likely four days if the historical, traditional site of where we think Elizabeth's home was, if that's where it actually was. Four days, a lot of time to walk and to think and to reflect. Compared to the spontaneous news that Elizabeth received when Mary walked in the room, you say, well, didn't Zachariah tell her? Zachariah couldn't talk. I don't know, maybe he wrote her a note. I don't know what went on in their marriage. I don't know. But nonetheless, Zachariah knew that they were going to have a child. Did he know about Mary? Jesus and when it was going to happen. This spontaneous expression of faith compared to four days. Four days is a long time. But compared to nine months, four days is a blink of the eye. It was a gift. It was a gift. It's a long time to think. Sure, time stood still. And eternity rushed in. His feet may have remained on earth, but his mind, his mind was on great and mighty things. And so his relative, Mary, showed up. Zechariah couldn't greet her. Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, sang her excited utterance. And Zechariah couldn't say amen. Mary sang her beautiful song, her magnificent song about the might, the holiness, and the mercy of God. And all Zechariah could do was nod his head. They went about their lives. They adapted. God's great hand was upon Zechariah and Elizabeth.
He was speechless. You know, when something so great happens in your presence, how you're speechless? When I say that Zachariah was speechless, can you hear that in both senses? That he was speechless because the angel said, you won't be able to speak. But he was speechless too because where his mind was, was on great, magnificent things that the people had long awaited. The Messiah was coming. He watched God's grand design unfold before his eyes. And then the day came. Elizabeth, an old woman, went into labor. And she gave birth. And her birth, her son was John the Baptist. I wonder if he had a beard when he came out. I wonder if she's mashing up locusts for him to eat. I don't know. So Elizabeth follows the angel's instructions, and she names their baby John. Friends didn't like it. The friends said, why are you going to name him John? There's nobody in your family named John. Perhaps they were wanting her to name her son Aaron. Would it made sense? She says, no, his name is John. And the friends didn't like it, and so they go and ask the boy's father. And here's their argument, Luke 1, 61 through 64. They said to her, none of your relative, uh, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring about what he wanted to be called. Now they're making signs to him. It's, you know, it could have been that he was deaf and unable to speak. It could have been that both were, were taking place here. Uh, however, uh, he's hearing some other things that are taking place, and uh, those that have the inability to speak often have people assume that they're deaf and they sign to them. We don't know. But they made signs to the father and inquired about what he wanted him to be called. I guess the woman, the elderly woman that just went through labor, right? We can't trust her. So he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. Zachariah's praise erupted through his slow heart and his sealed lips, and it flowed to the glory of God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. I've mentioned to you whenever we see Luke writing that phrase that that's the key, that we know the word of God is about to be pronounced with boldness. 
He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he began to prophesy. And he had plenty to say. He was going to get to, in his song, he's going to get to John. That's not where he starts. Please hear this. The blessing he was praising God for was not what happened to he and Elizabeth. He was praising God for the coming Messiah. We've seen that in Elizabeth's song. We've seen that in Mary's song. We've seen that here. Which one of the things that I hope that we're getting from Christmas music is Christmas is not about me. And it is not about you. Christmas is about us. It's about a Savior who is Christ the Lord, who came for all the people, for all of them. He's our hope. He's what brings real joy. He's what gets us through these circumstances and disappointments in life. And if I understand the scripture right, when that great day comes, when we know as we have been known, when we appear before him, then all the crowns that we have gathered, we lay at his feet because we realize they were just borrowed. Any glory and fame and recognition that we experience in this life is on loan until the day we can put it in front of his feet and cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is to come. So Zechariah begins with praise for the Lord. In verse 69, he speaks of a horn of salvation. In verse 70, he speaks of fulfilling his prophecy. So important and crucial when reading the book of Luke to understand that it's all about believing that God is doing what he said he would do. Now Zechariah doubted, but his doubt has dissipated and his faith has returned. And he sees the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Lord here. In their presence, God was keeping the covenant he made with Abraham, verses 72 through 74. Now he sees the connection with Abraham. It goes all the way back to that covenant. Then he speaks to his son, his son who is going to be a prophet and prepare the way of the Lord in verse 76. He'll tell the people, in verse 77, he will tell the people about salvation and forgiveness of sins. Salvation is coming. Forgiveness is coming. And then he speaks of God's tender mercy. And he compares it to the sunrise that provides life. The sunrise that chases away the shadow. 
and provides the light to walk in peaceful ways in verses 78 and 79. And after the song, Luke closes out chapter 1 with just a comment about John's development in body and in spirit. And then we turn to chapter 2. And the announcement of the birth of Jesus goes public. And we'll take up there in our story at our Christmas Eve service. John spoke of forgiveness and salvation. And that's how I'd like to close our service today. Just to remind you that Jesus came for a purpose, and that purpose was to die on the cross for our sins. It's only under the shadow of the cross do we really understand the light of Christmas. I know that all of us are unique and different, but there is one thing that we all have in common. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The scripture says, that all have sinned and fall short of his glory in Romans 3.23. I do understand that some people have sinned more than others, but all of us have sinned. That's the one thing that we all have in common, especially when we understand that sin is simply falling short of God's glory. And I've met a lot of good people, but I've never met any people that compare to the glory of God. Have you? The Bible also says that there's a consequence for our sin. It says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Just as every one of us will one day die physically, Every one of us will also one day die spiritually because of our sin. However, God loves us, and because of his great love for us, he offered us the free gift of eternal life so that we don't have to face that second death, that second spiritual death. It's not just words. God loved us in word and in deed. It's not just religious talk. It's not hypothetical. He proved that he loved us. In fact, the scripture says that God showed his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. And that's why he went to the cross. He paid the debt. It was a debt that we could never pay. And he offers forgiveness to everyone who believes that God raised him from the dead and submits to his lordship. That means that forgiveness is available to you. When you look under the cross, that old rugged tree, there's a gift for you with your name on it. He died for you as if you were the only one in the world that needed salvation. And your response is in faith. And unfortunately, if you do not respond in faith, that very death will indict you. And yet, if you will respond in faith, 
that you'll experience eternal life and forgiveness of your sins. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. and With the mouth one confesses and Jesus is saved. And so I ask you, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and three days later he rose from the grave? Church, do you believe that? If so, if there's never been a time in your life when you've confessed him as your Lord, is there any good reason why you cannot do that right here, right now? Simply saying to him, you are Lord. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, please, and close your eyes. And if you can't think of any good reason why you cannot confess Jesus as your Lord, then I want to ask you to pray with me right now. Dear Lord, I know that I've sinned. And I'm sorry for those sins, and I want to turn from them. And I live for you. I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the grave. And today, Lord, I confess you as the Lord of my life. Please save me. Forgive me. I'll live the rest of my life for you you prayed that prayer in just a moment I'm going to ask you to stand and come to the front our prayer team will be here and just grab one of us by your hand and say I prayed that prayer with Pastor Jim we want to pray with you more we want to help you with your next steps in your faith I'm also very aware that many of you are drowning in disappointment and for many of you even listening to this sermon was difficult. Perhaps like I have in the past you pray, Lord, where's my miracle? We love you. we know I'm not pretending to know your pain I'm just telling you I've known my own pain and if yours is anything like mine then I have great compassion for you won't you come grab our pastor by the hand or another member of the prayer team Let us look you in the eyes and say, I understand, I love you.